Chapter Sixteen, Part One of The Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Sixteen. Weber takes his revenge. Don Luis was for one moment amazed. Florence Levasseur here. Florence, whom he had left in the train under Mazeroux's supervision, and for whom it was physically impossible to be back in Paris before eight o'clock in the evening. Then, despite his bewilderment, he at once understood. Florence, knowing that she was being followed, had drawn them after her to the Gare Saint-Lazare, and simply walked through the railway carriage, getting out on the other platform, while the worthy Mazeroux went on in the train, to keep his eye on the traveller who was not there. But suddenly the full horror of the situation struck him. Florence was here to claim the inheritance, and her claim, as he himself had said, was a proof of the most terrible guilt. Acting on an irresistible impulse, Don Luis leapt to the girl's side, seized her by the arm, and said, with almost malevolent force, "'What are you doing here? What have you come for? Why did you not let me know?' M. de Malion stepped between them, but Don Luis, without letting go of the girl's arm, exclaimed, "'Oh, Monsieur le Préfet, don't you see that this is all a mistake? The person whom we are expecting, about whom I told you, is not this one. The other is keeping in the background, as usual. Why, it's impossible that Florence Levasseur—' "'I have no preconceived opinion on the subject of this young lady,' said the Prefect of Police, in an authoritative voice but it is my duty to question her about the circumstances that brought her here and i shall certainly do so he released the girl from don luis's grasp and made her take a seat he himself sat down at his desk and it was easy to see how great an impression the girl's presence made upon him it afforded so to speak an illustration of don luis's argument the appearance on the scene of a new person laying claim to the inheritance was undeniably to any logical mind the appearance on the scene of a criminal who herself brought with her the proofs of her crimes. Don Luis felt this clearly, and from that moment did not take his eyes off the prefect of police. Florence looked at them by turns, as though the whole thing was the most insoluble mystery to her. Her beautiful dark eyes retained their customary serenity. She no longer wore her nurse's uniform, and her grey gown, very simply cut and devoid of ornaments, showed her graceful figure. She was grave and unemotional as usual. M. de Malion said, "'Explain yourself, mademoiselle,' she answered. "'I have nothing to explain, monsieur le préfet. I have come to you on an errand which I am fulfilling, without knowing exactly what it is about.' "'What do you mean, without knowing what it is about?' "'I will tell you, monsieur le préfet. Someone in whom I have every confidence, and for whom I entertain the greatest respect, asked me to hand you certain papers. They appear to concern the question which is the object of your meeting to-day.' "'The question of awarding the Mornington inheritance?' "'Yes.' You know that if this claim had not been made in the course of the present sitting, it would have had no effect. I came as soon as the papers were handed to me. Why were they not handed to you an hour or two earlier? I was not there. I had to leave the house where I am staying in a hurry. Perena did not doubt that it was his intervention that upset the enemy's plans by causing Florence to take to flight. The prefect continued, So you are ignorant of the reasons why you received the papers? Yes, monsieur le préfet. "'And evidently you are also ignorant of how far they concern you.' "'They do not concern me, Monsieur le Préfet.' M. de Malion smiled, and, looking into Florence's eyes, said plainly, "'According to the letter that accompanies them, they concern you intimately. It seems that they prove, in the most positive manner, that you are descended from the Roussel family, and that you consequently have every right to the Mornington inheritance.' "'I?' The cry was a spontaneous exclamation of astonishment and protest, and she at once went on insistently, I a right to the inheritance? I have none at all, Monsieur le Préfet, none at all. I never knew Mr. Mornington. What is this story? There is some mistake. 
She spoke with great animation, and with an apparent frankness that would have impressed any other man than the prefect of police. But how could he forget Don Luis's arguments, and the accusation made beforehand against the person who would arrive at the meeting? "'Give me the papers,' he said. She took from her handbag a blue envelope which was not fastened down, and which he found to contain a number of faded documents, damaged at the folds and torn in different places. He examined them amid perfect silence, read them through, studied them thoroughly, inspected the signatures and the seals through a magnifying glass, and said, "'They bear every sign of being genuine. The seals are official.' "'Then, Monsieur le Préfet,' said Florence in a trembling voice, "'then, Mademoiselle, let me tell you that your ignorance strikes me as most incredible.' And turning to the solicitor, he said, "'Listen briefly to what these documents contain and prove.' Gaston Sauverin, Cosmo Mornington's heir in the fourth line, had, as you know, an elder brother, called Raoul, who lived in the Argentine Republic. This brother, before his death, sent to Europe in the charge of an old nurse, a child of five who was none other than his daughter, a natural but legally recognized daughter, whom he had had by Mademoiselle Levasseur, a French teacher at Buenos Aires. Here is the birth certificate. Here is the signed declaration written entirely in the father's hand. Here is the affidavit signed by the old nurse. Here are the depositions of three friends, merchants or solicitors at Buenos Aires, and here are the death certificates of the father and mother. All these documents have been legalized, and bear the seals of the French consulate. For the present I have no reason to doubt them, and I am bound to look upon Florence Levasseur as Raoul Sauverin's daughter and Gaston Sauverin's niece. Gaston Sauverin's niece? His niece? stammered Florence. The mention of a father whom she had, so to speak, never known, left her unmoved, but she began to weep at the recollection of Gaston Sauverin, whom she loved so fondly, and to whom she found herself linked by such a close relationship. Were her tears sincere, or were they the tears of an actress able to play her part down to the slightest details? Were those facts really revealed to her for the first time, or was she acting the emotions which the revelation of those facts would produce in her under normal conditions? Don Luis observed M. de Malion even more narrowly than he did the girl, and tried to read the secret thoughts of the man with whom the decision lay, and suddenly he became certain that Florence's arrest was a matter resolved upon as definitely as the arrest of the most monstrous criminal. Then he went up to her and said, Florence. She looked at him with her tear-dimmed eyes and made no reply. Slowly he said, To defend yourself, Florence, for though I am sure you do not know it, you are under that obligation— you must understand the terrible position in which events have placed you. Florence, the prefect of police, has been led by the logical outcome of those events to come to the final conclusion that the person entering this room, with an evident claim to the inheritance, is the person who killed the Mornington heirs. You entered the room, Florence, and you are undoubtedly Cosmo Mornington's heir. He saw her shake from head to foot and turn as pale as death. Nevertheless, she uttered no word and made no gesture of protest. He went on. It is a formal accusation. Do you say nothing in reply? She waited some time and then declared, I have nothing to say. The whole thing is a mystery. What would you have me reply? I do not understand. Don Luis stood quivering with anguish in front of her. He stammered, Is that all? Do you accept? After a second she said in an undertone, Explain yourself, I beg of you. What you mean, I suppose, is that— if I do not reply, I accept the accusation. Yes. And then... Arrest. Prison. Prison? 
She seemed to be suffering hideously. Her beautiful features were distorted with fear. To her mind, prison evidently represented the torments undergone by Marie and Sauverand. It must mean despair, shame, death, all those horrors which Marie and Sauverand had been unable to avoid, and of which she in her turn would become the victim. An awful sense of hopelessness overcame her, and she moaned, "'How oh, tired I am! I feel that there is nothing to be done. I am stifled by the mystery around me. Oh, if I could only see and understand!' There was another long pause. Leaning over her, M. de Malion studied her face with concentrated attention. Then, as she did not speak, he put his hand to the bell on his table and struck it three times. Don Luis did not stir from where he stood, with his eyes despairingly fixed on Florence. A battle was raging within him, between his love and generosity, which led him to believe the girl, and his reason, which obliged him to suspect her. Was she innocent or guilty? He did not know. Everything was against her, and yet why had he never ceased to love her? Weber entered, followed by his men. M. de Malion spoke to him and pointed to Florence. Weber went up to her. "'Florence,' said Don Luis. She looked at him and looked at Weber and his men, and suddenly, realizing what was coming, she retreated, staggered for a moment, bewildered and fainting, and fell back in Don Luis's arms. "'Oh, save me, save me, do save me!' The act was so natural and unconstrained, the cry of distress so clearly denoted the alarm which only the innocent can feel, that Don Luis was promptly convinced. A fervent belief in her lightened his heart. His doubts, his caution, his hesitation, his anguish, all these vanished before a certainty that dashed upon him like an irresistible wave, and he cried, "'No, no, that must not be. Monsieur le Préfet, there are things that cannot be permitted.' He stooped over Florence, whom he was holding so firmly in his arms that nobody could have taken her from him. Their eyes met. His face was close to the girl's. He quivered with emotion at feeling her throbbing, so weak, so utterly helpless and he said to her passionately, in a voice too low for any but her to hear, "'I love you, I love you. Oh, Florence, if you only knew what I feel, how I suffer and how happy I am. Oh, Florence, I love you, I love you.' Weber had stood aside, at a sign from the prefect, who wanted to witness the unexpected conflict between those two mysterious beings, Don Luis Perena and Florence Levasseur. Don Luis unloosed his arms and placed the girl in a chair. Then, putting his two hands on her shoulders, face to face with her, he said, "'Though you do not understand, Florence, I am beginning to understand a good deal, and I can already almost see my way in the mystery that terrifies you. Florence, listen to me. It is not you who are doing all this, is it? There is somebody else behind you, above you, somebody who gives you your instructions, isn't there, while you yourself don't know where he is leading you?' "'Nobody is instructing me. What do you mean? Explain.' Yes, you are not alone in your life. There are many things which you do because you are told to do them, and because you think them right, and because you do not know their consequences, or even that they can have any consequences. Answer my question. Are you absolutely free? Are you not yielding to some influence? The girl seemed to have come to herself, and her face recovered some of its usual calmness. Nevertheless, it seemed as if Don Luis's question made an impression on her. No, she said, there is no influence, none at all, I'm sure of it. He insisted, with growing eagerness. No, you are not sure. Don't say that. Someone is dominating you without your knowing it. Think for a moment. You are Cosmo Mornington's heir, heir to a fortune which you don't care about. I know, I swear. Well, if you don't want that fortune, to whom will it belong? Answer me. Is there anyone who is interested, or believes himself interested in seeing you rich? The whole question lies in that. Is your life linked with that of someone else? Is he a friend of yours? Are you engaged to him? She gave a start of revolt. 
Oh, never! The man of whom you speak is incapable. Ah! he cried, overcome with jealousy. You confess it! So the man of whom I speak exists! I swear that the villain— He turned toward M. de Malion, his face convulsed with hatred. He made no further effort to contain himself. Monsieur le Préfet, we are in sight of the goal. I know the road that will lead us to it. The wild beast shall be hunted down to-night, or to-morrow at least. Monsieur le Préfet, the letter that accompanied those documents, the unsigned letter which this young lady handed to you, was written by the mother superior who manages a nursing home in the Avenue des Ternes. By making immediate inquiries at that nursing home, by questioning the superior, and confronting her with Mademoiselle de Vasseur, we shall discover the identity of the criminal himself. But we must not lose a minute, or we shall be too late, and the wild beast will have fled. His outburst was irresistible. There was no fighting against the violence of his conviction. Still, M. de Malion objected. Mademoiselle Levasseur could tell us. She will not speak, or at least not till later, when the man has been unmasked in her presence. Monsieur le Préfet, I entreat you to have the same confidence in me as before. Have not all my promises been fulfilled? Have confidence, Monsieur le Préfet. Cast aside your doubts. Remember how Marie Fauville and Gaston Sauverin were overwhelmed with charges, the most serious charges, and how they succumbed in spite of their innocence. Does the law wish to see Florence Levasseur sacrificed as the two others were? And besides, what I ask for is not her release, but the means to defend her, that is to say, an hour or two's delay. Let Deputy Chief Weber be responsible for her safe custody. Let your detectives go with us, these and more as well, for we cannot have too many to capture the loathsome brute in his lair. M. de Malion did not reply. After a brief moment he took Weber aside and talked to him for some minutes. M. de Malion did not seem very favorably disposed toward Don Luis's request, but Weber was heard to say, "'You need have no fear, Monsieur le Préfet, we run no risk.' And M. de Malion yielded. A few moments later Don Luis Perena and Florence Levasseur took their seats in a motor-car with Weber and two inspectors. Another car, filled with detectives, followed. The hospital was literally invested by the police force, and Weber neglected none of the precautions of a regular siege. The prefect of police, who arrived in his own car, was shown by the manservant into the waiting-room, and then into the parlour, where the mother superior came to him at once. Without delay or preamble of any sort, he put his questions to her, in the presence of Don Luis, Weber, and Florence. "'Reverend Mother,' he said, "'I have a letter here which was brought to me at headquarters, and which tells me of the existence of certain documents concerning a legacy.' According to my information, this letter, which is unsigned, and which is in a disguised hand, was written by you. Is that so? The mother superior, a woman with a powerful face and a determined air, replied without embarrassment, That is so, Monsieur le Préfet, as I had the honour to tell you in my letter, I would have preferred, for obvious reasons, that my name should not be mentioned. Besides, the delivery of the documents was all that mattered. However, since you know that I am the writer, I am prepared to answer your questions. M. de Malion continued with a glance at Florence. I will first ask you, Reverend Mother, if you know this young lady. Yes, Monsieur le Préfet, Florence was with us for six months as a nurse, a few years ago. She gave such satisfaction that I was glad to take her back this day fortnight. As I had read her story in the papers, I simply asked her to change her name. We had a new staff at the hospital, and it was therefore a safe refuge for her. But as you have read the papers, you must be aware of the accusations against her. Those accusations have no weight, Monsieur le Préfet, with any one who knows Florence. She has one of the noblest characters and one of the strictest consciences that I have ever met with. End of chapter 16, part 1